We've been talking about things, words, that were written in our Declaration of Independence where our forefathers reminded us and declared on our behalf many years ago that our Creator has endowed us with certain inalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that human beings like you and me create governments and give them authority over us to preserve those rights. And it's been my hope as we have looked at these words together, we have looked at them through the lens of God's eyes instead of our own and realized that the gifts are much greater when we recognize that they're from God and not from the government because God can make these wonderful gifts everlasting while what government armies and people can protect always come to an end. So today we're going to turn to that third item from that declaration, and that is the pursuit of happiness. And I was really tempted to be a little tongue-in-cheek and to name this message, Life is Not a Happy Meal. Now, how many of you have been at McDonald's with your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren when they do their very best to convince you that that Happy Meal with that 25-cent toy will be the fulfillment of their every wish and dream. Mommy, 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 daddy, 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 granny, granny, granny. If you just get me this Happy Meal, I won't need anything else. Right? And then a half hour after the meal's over and the toy's broken, something else is on the radar, right? But you know, we're the same way. Sometimes it goes like this. Mom, Dad, honey, if we're talking to our spouse, if I could just have that brand new iPhone, I'll have everything I need. It's got all these gadgets. It will make my life so much simpler. I'll be able to spend even more time on my phone instead of with you, right? <laughs> or, this is my favorite. Sorry, ladies, I have to do this to us. If I put this lotion on my skin, I'll have the golden glow of a tan year-round. If I use this toner, this cream on my face, I'll never get wrinkles. And if I don't get wrinkles, I'll be happy forever. But you're not off the hook, guys, because you've got cars and gadgets. We all know about toys that boys like. The point is, when we pursue happiness, we spend a lot of time pursuing the wrong things. And what we're going to learn today, both from words that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches that he founded, and from words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he was preparing to leave them, is that we can indeed find happiness that lasts forever. But in the Bible, we more commonly refer to that kind of happiness as joy. It's not something that's fleeting with wrinkles, or hamburgers. It doesn't fluctuate with our day-to-day -day emotions as circumstances change around us. Really true happiness, abiding joy, comes when we know no matter what happens in our day-to-day -day lives that God is with us and for us and in us, and we have confidence that God will do all that has been promised. One of the scriptures that really speaks to me about that subject is a scripture. It's actually 
uh, from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. At the time he wrote it, Paul wasn't with him. He was in Rome. He had insisted on going to Rome to have his case tried before Caesar, where the Jews had been accusing him of all kinds of blasphemies. He was in prison and in chains, and various churches were sending monetary support and people to support him, because in those days, if you were in prison, you weren't entitled to three meals a day. I mean, when you were in prison, someone had to bring the food, the clothing, the things you needed, and different churches did that for Paul. And Philippi actually sent a person to be available to tend to Paul's needs while he was in prison. And Paul sent them a letter, and there are several chapters, if you look at um, the epistle to the church in Philippi, it's called Philippians. And Paul finally gets around to the thank you in chapter 4, after waxing eloquent, as Paul often does. Um, Paul never met a comma that he liked, and uh, sometimes it can be hard to follow, but he says something incredibly important to the church, but it, it doesn't sound very grateful. And the reason it doesn't sound grateful is because he's trying to teach the people that really everything we need comes from God. So this is how he uh, wrote what he said, and I'm going to read uh, from the message. This is what he said. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned how to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. More commonly, we hear that last verse as these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Will you say that with me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's circumstances were such that what he needed to be strengthened for was much more difficult than what most of us endure on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet he made this a primary teaching point in his letter, even as he expressed his gratitude for the physical sustenance that was being provided to him. But Paul wasn't the only apostle who did this. If we think about it, if we look at Acts chapter 5, we'll find a place where Peter and some of the other apostles are preaching Jesus Christ in the courtyard of the temple. Uh, a couple of them get arrested one night. They get dragged off to jail. An angel comes, unlocks the door. They leave. Do they run and hide because they've been arrested? Nope. They go right back to the temple and they preach Jesus some more and they get arrested again and they get threatened and told that they have to stop doing that and they say, we're not going to stop doing that because we have to listen to God, not you, and they're flogged. And flogging in those days was a brutal, awful thing. And yet the scriptures tell us they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to be God's ministers of the gospel on this earth. So they were joyful even amid what I'm sure was great pain in being called to serve God. You know, I'm pretty sure that I'm not that good. I wish I was. 
I take comfort from the fact that God's not done with me yet, and I hate to break it to you, but he's not done with you either. He's not done with any of us. Being happy and rejoicing in all circumstances can be difficult sometimes. We sang hymns this morning, and the choir's anthem was about praising him. And I'm sure the intention is to be praising him in all circumstances, and yet I can tell you it's hard to do. I have known people who were content, who praised God in the midst of immediate and intense grief. Many of you may remember a lovely, beautiful lady named June Aldrich. I went to visit her a few years ago on the day that her husband, Harry, passed away. And I wasn't sure what to expect because it, was, it was, happened very suddenly. He hadn't been hospitalized. It happened at home. And I got there, and I was confronted with a woman who was very sad, but who had a certain glow, a serenity, a contentment about her. And she said, well, you know, we had each other for lots of years, and I'm filled with gratitude, and I'm going to see Harry again. She was made of stronger stuff than I am. I have met people in the midst of tremendous illness, where their medical prospects were not good, where families were concerned for them or for their salvation. And they looked me right in the eye and they said, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I am really confident that even though my family might wonder about it, Jesus loves me and Jesus accepts me as I am and Jesus has forgiven my sins and I'm okay when it's time for me to go. I hope, I hope when my time comes I'll be like that. See, that's not Happy Meal happiness. That's contentment and joy that we find in the assurance that what God promises, God, deli God delivers. I can remember a time at annual conference two years ago in 2017, I went to a clergywoman's breakfast, and a newly ordained bishop from Florida who was working in another state came to deliver a message to us, and it was from a psalm and from some scriptures that was talking about praise him in all things. And she had just been ordained a bishop, and she was happy, she was joyful, and she was jumping up and down, and by the time she was done with her message, I mean, the clergy women were like bouncing all around the room, and she was going from person to person, looking him in the eye and saying, praise him in all things, praise him in all things. And I was standing there pretty much like this. I was sad. I was angry because I had become a widow six weeks before, and I was having none of her message that morning, if I'm honest with you. But she's a very smart lady and a very faithful lady, and she wasn't a bishop for nothing. And when she got to me, she stopped jumping around. She looked straight in my eyes, and somehow she knew, and she said, you know, whatever it is, and I don't know what it is, you're going to find your joy. And she was right. But we find it by pursuing it. And I'm suggesting to you today that pursuing that kind of joy is way more important than the pursuit of happiness that we sometimes settle for when we think of it the way it was written in our Declaration of Independence instead of in our Bible. Joy and happiness aren't the same thing. Many, many more scriptures refer to joy than they do happiness. If you have one of those online Bibles where you can look up a word, look up happy, and then look up joy, 
and see the comparison. And they're not the same thing. The Apostle Paul taught us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that comes to us that is beyond worldly things. I think that his words to the church in Philippi, while he wanted to be grateful, he didn't want to mislead them into thinking that it was mostly what they provided that made his life complete. So he was walking that fine line between being grateful and teaching them something wrong. He wanted them to know that the Roman government could not take away what God provided, even if they took away his life, his food, and his liberty. Even if they took away his day-to-day -day happiness, he still had joy. Joy is not a fleeting thing. When we find it, if we allow it to remain with us through trials, it will remain. And one of the things I will always appreciate is that Pastor Bob shared with me one day, long after Bruce had been buried in Arlington, he said, you know, you know why Bruce asked me to baptize him, don't you? And I said, nope, never talked to me about it. He said he wanted to talk to you. I was his wife, not his pastor. And what he told Pastor Bob is, I want to find the joy that I see in Pam. And he was baptized. So friends, there's a difference. He wasn't always happy about a new career for the little wife, but he was joyful over what he saw as joy in me. And we can find that joy and we can keep that joy even through tough circumstances. And Jesus reminds us of this. Jesus knew a hard time was coming for the apostles. He was going to be leaving them. They didn't understand that it wasn't leaving forever. But he was going to go through a terrible agony, and some of them, he thought, were going to be brave enough to witness that, and some of them were. So as he prepared them, there's three chapters in John, 14 through 16, where it's his final discourse with them. And then in 17, he has a final prayer with them. And he's teaching them about what's to come, but they, they didn't really understand. But this is what Jesus said to them. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is a really important text. And I encourage you, if you're ever having a time when it feels like your joy's been stolen from you for some reason, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 16 and read the whole chapter. Because Jesus is teaching us many things, but there's four things I want to focus on today that are really important. One of them is the followers of the world and the followers of Jesus do not rejoice in the same way about the same things. And what grieves God 
ought to grieve us even when the world rejoices. The authorities were rejoicing that Jesus was crucified, but they had no idea what was coming. Jesus reminded his followers that they do this one way, but you who follow me, you rejoice another way. He reminded us something important about time frame. The world's pain and suffering, like labor pains, are temporary. They're experienced for a short time, relative to life eternal. But in the immediate pain that we sometimes suffer, life eternal seems like a long way away, and it's easy to forget. Being joyful doesn't mean that we're never sad or hurt or feel pain. Being joyful means we know God is present with us through those times and will carry us through to a time when, like a woman who gives birth, is overjoyed at this new birth. We will experience joy like that when we realize in his presence the beauty of life eternal. Jesus was reminding them that joy is lasting. It's not a fleeting thing. He said no one can take it away. But he didn't say you can't choose to give it away. He didn't say you can choose to wallow in the temporary things of the world and lose your joy. He said no one can take it away, but you can lose it if you allow yourself to lose it. And that's the point of what we're talking about today. He said that joy is complete, everything we need. He wasn't talking about Happy Meal joy. He wasn't talking about tanning lotion. He wasn't talking about things of this world. The joy he was speaking of is not dependent on a benevolent government or a strong army. It's dependent on faith, on us carrying one another through and turning to God. Jesus, the one who can do all things and who strengthens us. And then lastly, he taught us that we need to pray the Jesus way. Too often our prayers are for, please, please, God, let me have that Happy Meal or whatever adult version of a Happy Meal is that we want. But what he's saying is what we ask for matters and we need to pray the Jesus way. He is not promising to deliver Happy Meals. He is promising to deliver what we ask for when we ask the way he would ask. The message paraphrase of that particular verse explains it a little better than the text I read to you. He said, this is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. Ask in my name according to my will, and he'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. So we need to ask in Jesus' name, according to his wills, not ours. We need to ask him to strengthen us when we're feeling weak. He need, we need to ask him to strengthen our connection to God so we remember to go every day. Give us this day our daily bread, not once a week. Give me this week my weekly bread. There was a reason it was supposed to be daily. It was connection maintenance. We need to ask for help in sharing God's love with our neighbors, with our families. We need to ask for God to equip us to be a disciple. 
We need to ask God to help us reveal God's plan for our lives because there's so much bigger and better than our plans for ourselves. Don't ask for stuff you want if you know that Jesus wouldn't have asked for it. So how do we pursue this holy happiness? In addition to praying the way I just talked about to maintain a connection with God, we need to praise God in community. We sang blessed assurance. What's the chorus? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Not praising my Savior when I'm having a great day. Praising my Savior when I haven't lost someone. Praising my Savior when I don't have an illness. Praising my Savior when I don't have a single financial woe. Praising my Savior all the day long. And one of the ways I see people reflect the most joy I ever see in people is when they serve others. Now, if you saw many pictures of Mother Teresa, you know she wasn't worried about this stuff. Wrinkles weren't robbing her of her joy. She served in some of the worst conditions imaginable. And that wonderful, God-loving woman was always joyful, unless she was a little testy with someone who wasn't being right-minded toward the poor. Next week, we are going to be blessed to hear from Carolyn Goodwin, our, our missionary who serves in Africa. And I don't want to steal her thunder. I haven't heard what her message is going to be, but I can tell you this. The first year she went to South Sudan, lo and behold, there was a civil war. And you know what? She didn't come running home. Finally, they made her leave where she was, and she went over to Uganda where she continued to work to get the kids whose lives were being threatened in South Sudan to where she was and where others were. And she stayed there, and there's been huge stretches of time when she didn't come home. And I assure you, life is more comfortable in this U.S. of A. than it is in Uganda. But if you talk to Carol, you're going to find out that she's one of the most joyful people you'll ever meet. And I'm more than happy to tell you, I've learned a ton from her, and I'm glad she's here today, hearing this message. And you're going to hear more from here next week, and I hope you'll bring people to be here with you, because she's going to bring us a word that's going to bless us. So be here. Ministry volunteers look really joyful when they're handing out backpacks, when they're handing out groceries at open arms, when they're serving food. All the cares they have in the world when they're feeding the homeless seem to dissipate when they're serving other people. If you really want to pursue holy happiness, then take time at the beginning of, and the end of every day to be thankful for something. Sometimes we just have to remember that the glass is half full, not half empty. I try now to end each day on my balcony if it's not pouring rain like it does this time of year thinking of three things to thank God for from that day. Some, day it's very, some days it's very humbling because I have to thank God for a painful lesson that I learned from somebody that I needed to be reminded about something. It's a good way to maintain joy, to remember the things that we have to be grateful for and the blessing instead of remaining, or remembering what we don't have. You know, our Declaration of Independence refers to pursuit of happiness. I would suggest to you that they miss the mark just a little. 
the inalienable right was really an inalienable gift. And it was a gift not of the ability to pursue happiness, but the ability to pursue God, which would lead to abiding joy. And no, they weren't going to put all that in the declaration. I get that. But that's what we need to think of when we think about those words. Governments can predict our rights to pursue what makes us happy for a finite time. And some of what they protect is precious. And our men and women in uniform protect it with their blood, and I'm not diminishing that. Please know that. You should know that about me. But at the end of the day, what they protect is only what is here on this earth. They can protect, to some extent, our bank accounts, our homes, our right to worship, which is precious, our right to have our kids get an education. They can protect lots of things. But some of what the government protects is of the Happy Meal variety, not the abiding joy variety. And so today, I encourage you, as with life and, with, and as with liberty, to remember that happiness is a fleeting thing. But joy is ours forever, and it always comes in the morning. Real joy is God's gift to us when we come to understand and believe with our whole heart that no matter what our circumstances, he will never leave us or abandon us. It's a gift that we can share by our example. In the case of this particular gift, June Aldrich taught me something about joy, more by her demeanor than anything she said to me, her face shining serenely, sure in the knowledge that Harry was okay, and she'd see him again. Instead of pursuing temporary happiness, as the beer commercial said, sorry, go for the gusto, go for joy. Reach for holy happiness that we can find only in the Lord. And then when you find it, cling to it, except for that part that you pass on to others. It's a gift that keeps on giving, and Jesus wants to give it to you. Receive it. Will you let him give it to you? And then when you have it and you're sure of it, join me. Give it away. When we see the kids at the Jubilee, when we feed the folks who come to open arms, when we feed the homeless people, when we make prayer shawls and hand them to people and remind the people that there's a church praying for them, that's sharing joy at a time when people have needs. That's holy happiness. It's eternal, and it's ours. It's ours.